Welcome to the Church on a Hill podcast. This is Pastor Corey Lahiri, and the Church on a Hill podcast is a ministry of Palouse Federated Church in Palouse, Washington. We are glad you joined us for this podcast, and we hope that that this will bless you. Blood pumping, I tell you. All right, we're in the book of Revelation today. If you have your Bibles there or an app, you want to turn on and go to Revelation chapter 8 is where we'll be today. Easy enough to find in a Bible because it's the last book of the New Testament, last book of the Bible. We'll be following along uh, using the outline there inside the program if you'd like to use that. And as always, if you'd like to fill out the Connect card with questions or comments or follow-up, personal convictions, prayers, what have you, we can receive those in the offering plate at the end of the service, or you can hand them to me after the service, and we will have a guided prayer time after the service today as well. Um, Well, the Bible is really uh, a beautiful library of writings. You know, it wasn't, it didn't come down from heaven as a bound book, you know. Uh, There were scrolls written uh, in Old Testament times, and and they were collections, and it, it took a while for God's plan to, to coalesce into what we have now as one complete book. So it's really a library of writings, if you think of it. Uh, we, we have a, a portable library of writings uh, that were gathered over many centuries by God, through God using many human authors, but really the Spirit of God being the main author behind it all. And this, this library of God's special writings tell us the truth about God and our human situation. Now, if you've read the Bible a bit, and I imagine some of you have, maybe some of you are new to it, uh, there is so much good news and love in the pages of Scripture. But if you've read the Bible a bit, you will know there are also some difficult Scriptures, right? Some Scriptures that, that where people die and terrible things happen. And one of our convictions here at this church and one of my personal convictions is to teach through the Bible and particularly through books of the Bible. It's an old practice called Lectio Continua. It just means continuous reading, continuous holy study of the word. And and it's connected to a scripture that says we are to hear the the whole counsel of God. That that's really not just what we want to hear, slices here and there and topics that are hot for the day, but... We need to hear the whole counsel of God. We don't skip over passages. If you've been here long enough, you know that, and that can be tough, right? And so journeying through Revelation is part of all that. Uh, It's part of this journey, and it can be tough sledding, I'm learning. Tough sledding, but it is okay. It's really okay. Now, part of the tough part, I just want to say, is that the imagery and the intenseness of that imagery that we're going to see is only ratcheting up in Revelation. So if you haven't buckled up your Bible belts, go for it, um, because it's, it's going to ratchet up in the next few chapters. I mean, we're going to be talking about whores and dragons pretty soon, so okay. Uh, but it, it is intense. And it's not only that, but there's connections to ancient times and historical work that the pastors and Bible teachers have to do when they, they teach Revelation that, that frankly takes extra work. Um, you know, if, we're, if I'm not a scholar of Revelation, which I am not, it takes extra work. That's good for me, and it's good for the church. This is the word of God. But in addition to that, with with Revelation, in our age, preaching, teaching from Revelation is difficult because there are entrenched views about Revelation, right, that, that people in the church have, 
and what, it, what it's saying and what it's not saying. And, and some of those are great, right? I'm not going to critique entrenched views today. But, you know, when it, I'll just say this. When it comes to the end of history or what we call end times or in theological words, you, you know, if you haven't heard this word before, it's called eschatology, the study of the end times. Uh, and, and if we want to just personalize that and study, say, talking about end, li- end of life issues, those things, end times issues, end of history, end of your personal life, that, it, it makes sense to be passionate and convicted about those views. And people in church history and in present times are passionate about revelation. And that is not bad. But... When we come to the word, we need to let the word be the word, right? And, and this is one thing it's doing to me, challenging me, like, and coming, coming to it and, and really coming to it prayerfully, longing to hear the word of God. Not just our interpretation affirmed. This is true of every scripture, right? But longing to hear the word of God, what it says, the good, the beautiful, the hard, the true, the loving, the convicting, and all that could be in the same verse, right? So even if it challenges our own personal history, our own views, or our views of history, it is always going to be good news. So with all that said, let us continue to journey together in Revelation, and let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord. For you are the rock and redeemer. You are the writer of revelation. You are the author and perfecter. You are the one that we should reverently worship. We should be in awe of you. We should fully follow you. We should have our lives founded upon you. And you can give us eyes to see and ears to hear your word rightly. So may your people listening here and online, Lord, may we be praying as we listen that this would be an act of worship, that it's not an act of sermon critique time or, or can I get a nugget here and there, Lord? No, no, no. For me and for your congregation, may this be worship. May we be hearing of your Holy Spirit that you've poured out to us. This is a blessing that we get to be here today before your word, Lord. So may we pray for ourselves and one another and may your people pray for me that I would rightly teach your word. May they pre- pray for me and other preachers that we would rightly declare your good news. Lord, may you be glorified in all of this. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're in the book of Revelation chapter 8. Okay, we're starting with verse 6. We're, we're hearing uh, about these, these things going on in the, the throne room of God. And uh, we're hearing of the, the risen lamb who looks like he's slain, but he's alive. It's the Lord Jesus, and he's able to open this special scroll in heaven that had seven seals and the unleashing of things happens when the seals are opened and we're in the seventh seal being opened which ends up getting connected to seven angels that have seven trumpets and there's a lot of sevens right seven meaning perfection and so we're going to hear today uh, about the continuation of the seventh seal being opened and if this is new series to you you know you can catch up and go to pollucechurch.org and look under resources or go to youtube and catch the other messages but We'll go ahead and pick up here with Revelation chapter 8, starting with verse 6. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, 
And there followed hail and fire mixed with blood. And these were thrown upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up. And a third of the trees burned up. And all green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood. And a third of the living creatures in the sea died. And a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet and a great star fell from heaven blazing like a torch and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood. And many people died from the water because it, it had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet and a third of the sun was struck. And a third of the moon and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. Then I looked, and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe. To those who dwell on the earth at the blasts of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we see these first four angels and the first four trumpets. They, they remind us of the, 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 the set of four we saw earlier in Revelation, the four horses um, uh, of Revelation. But they also remind us of some things uh, in the Bible's past. Uh, re reminds us of Exodus and the, the plagues uh, that God struck upon Egypt in the book of Exodus. We see there in the book of Exodus, Moses and Aaron, they're, they're called to communicate to the Pharaoh leader, the Pharaoh leader of Egypt. Uh, you know, and God is sending Moses and Aaron, uh, who are these you know, leaders of the Hebrew people, Go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go, and if he doesn't, I'm going to strike him with plagues. And, and so they go, and they try to talk to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh you know, repeatedly doesn't want to let the people go, and so there's one plague after another, and God, God unleashes these plagues, and they're difficult. And it affects things like water and the environment, things like we hear today, and there ends up being 10 of them. And so we see in the Bible back there in Exodus and in other places, of God using hard things, God disrupting environments, God disrupting economy, God disrupting even family living situations, as he did in Egypt, uh, in order to set his people free, in order that people might open their eyes. Now, back in Exodus' time, God gave Pharaoh options. They, they could have set the Jewish people free, but he chose to harden his heart and not repent. And we're going to see a similar situation here in the book of Revelation. So we see those parallels. And I want you to keep some things in mind. Keep some things in mind as we 
hear difficult things now and in coming texts in Revelation. One, first, God is never unjust or wrong. Uh, we, we accept that being true. We may not understand the mind of God, or we shouldn't completely, we can't, but we know this, God is never unjust or wrong. So the, the suffering that he allows or causes, I'm not afraid to say that, God can cause suffering, it's pretty clear from the scripture, he's never wrong in doing it. It's never unjust, because he's perfectly just. We don't even have to exist, let's keep that in mind, right? And so he is writing this story, and he's no, he knows the ultimate end. He knows the true beginning. He knows what we need. He alone is perfect, right? We've got to keep that in mind when we hear texts like this. And, and I just want to say, no human, though we think this maybe more so in our age than any other age, no human has a right uh, to have a life free from suffering. No human does, first off. Suffering is like one of the great uh, things that, that we all share in. We all suffer to one degree or another. And when we read texts like this where there's great suffering coming upon the earth, I think we, we think, why, you know, is God bad? But suffering, even God allowed or God caused suffering, uh, is not evil. We don't have a right to a life free from suffering. Um, much of the suffering in this world, humans bring upon ourselves, right? Suffering is part of the human experience. And yet, you know, what God shows us is we won't always listen to the suffering that comes. We're going to see that here. You can, you can peek ahead in, in the next chapter, but we, the suffering, that's the severe suffering that we're hearing about, it's not going to cause people to repent in the future, to reflect on the gift of life. And it didn't for Pharaoh in the Old Testament. He just doubled down and hardened his heart. Okay? So God has a history, is what I'm trying to say. God has a history of allowing humans, God has a history of allowing humans to, to, to experience suffering, experience the wrath of their sinful, uh, selfish decisions. God even uh, allows us to double down and call our evil good. Right? God allows us to do that. He could have made people unable to do that because he's God. But God allows us a certain amount of free will where we can even call evil good and we can call good evil. I just want to read to you from Romans 1 and then Romans 2. Romans 1, 18 and 19 first. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. And I'm ripping this out of a great chapter of scripture, out of a great book of the Bible that talks about what God's plan and, and, and particularly in this section, God's wrath. But Paul, Paul is saying that there's some things that are obvious about God but you know, and that God, God's handiwork can be seen in creation. He's saying this in chapter one of Romans, but people won't see it and, and God allows even wrath to be given against the ungodliness or the selfishness and the unrighteousness of human beings and, and, and yet doesn't wake us all up, right? Romans 2, Paul says this, Romans 2, starting with verse 4. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness, God's kindness, 
and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. So, so you see, just pause there. Sometimes things are going really well, so we assume that we are really good, right? We are a really prosperous society, therefore we can make some false logical leap. We've been really good boys and girls, right? Okay, do you presume on the riches and kindness and forbearance and patience of God? But God's, also when God is kind, when he holds back suffering and difficulty, that is also an opportunity to say, who am I that I get these blessings in my life? Not, oh, look at me, I deserve these blessings. We, aren't we great? Okay, moving on. Verse five of that same section, Romans two. But because of your hard and impen- impenitent heart, meaning a heart that isn't willing to repent, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. So I'm reading this section to say what Paul is inspired by the Holy Spirit to say in Romans is not that different. It's right in line with what we're hearing in the book of Revelation. God using wrath and consequences is a part of his plan. He he is consistent. God is very, very perfectly consistent, right? And if there are those who are are self-seeking and seeking their own glory, they're not going to they're not going to find true life. They're not going to find the purpose and meaning of life in, the, in relationship with God, but they're also storing up, as the scripture says, wrath for themselves. This is a hard scripture. This is one of these scriptures that pastors who want to grow nice, touchy-feely churches skip over, right? Um, so that people can keep their lives just as they are. But that's exactly what Romans was saying. Maybe there's something in your life you shouldn't keep just as it is. Is there some way you need to be obeying God that you aren't? Are you living your life for Him? Are you living your life for His glory? Seeking glory for Him. This is what Revelation, this this book is such a gift to the church. And again, those who think it's not want a shallow Christianity generally. Don't want a shallow Christianity. Don't, if that is bubbling up inside of you, that's not the Spirit of God, okay? Spirit of God wants you to have a deep, deep relationship with the Spirit, with the Son, with the Father. And, and there is this thing in us that, that doesn't want to be convicted, that doesn't want to see areas where I don't obey, that doesn't want to admit that something I do maybe deserves wrath. Something I do when I'm actually in the Lord's presence, whenever your timeline thinks that's gonna happen, there are things that... that you like in your life now that are going to be burnt up in the presence of God's holiness because they're really actually selfish and, and there's things in my life like that that I have to come to terms with God this 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 isn't obedient this isn't going to exist in your presence Lord help me get this out of my life now right so if you're excited to be lifted up with him whenever that happens just know that with that comes a burning up of whatever is not of him. Because that's who he is. He's a holy God. And he is not going to say, oh, that's your pet thing, you like that? That's your pet prejudice? Or 
that's your selfishness or that's how you're a jerk to people. You get to keep that in heaven in my, in my presence. No, 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 no. He's going to light it up. And it's, and it's gone, right? And so if, if that's a big part of your identity, then that part of you is not going to exist in eternity. So the more of you that you want to start experiencing now in the spirit, you can start experiencing the full life that Jesus says, I came to bring you life and life abundant, life to the full. You can start experiencing your God-given identity now with the same Holy Spirit that inspired the Bible can live in you now and start burning up those things now, right? And living more for the things that he's taught us, right? If you love God, you obey his commandments. You learn how to walk in his ways, to love others. And you'll have less of that stuff that has to be burned up by his wrath. Okay, so a deep question that, that Revelation makes us think is all this stuff, we're gonna see all these things happen, some battles happen, some, some wrathful stuff happen. If this is a powerful God, right? Is he a bad God, people ask? If he allows such difficult suffering in the world and, and very difficult suffering in the end times is what we're seeing. Well, I want to read a lengthy section from Romans 9 to answer it because I, I can't answer it better than Paul did in Romans 9, starting with verse, verse 14, I believe. And Paul was saying that God can use difficult things for good things. And I'll just pause here and say there's this, people are saying we have the problem of suffering and almost as an accusation, accusation against God. Like, I would believe in God if there wasn't suffering. No, you wouldn't. Okay? No, you wouldn't. You would still believe in yourself. Okay, so Paul, Paul I'll just stop with that and I'll go to Paul. Okay, Romans 9, starting with verse 14. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God, who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So, so then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molders, Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God... Desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy which he has prepared beforehand for glory. Even us whom he has called, not from the Jews, but only, uh, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. As indeed he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I call my people. And her who was not beloved, I call my beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there will be called people called sons of the living God. Okay. My point with what, what Paul is saying here is 
is God is in charge. And, and we need to accept his plan. And can we say, well, can he still find fault with us? Absolutely. He, your, your will is real, right? And yes, is he char in charge and knows what's going to happen? And is there wrath and is going to burn up evil and sin one day and selfish, selfishness? Absolutely. But who are we to say back to God, I don't like that plan. We don't even need to exist. He was perfect before you were created, before I was created, before anything was created. He's just so loving and good that he wanted to make a creation that could experience life and his presence and love. And part of that is getting real with him. And he is trying to have us get real with him. And so we need to read Revelation with the Holy Spirit helping us have eyes open with this in mind that God is in charge and we are not. That's like a big theme of the Bible. <laughs> Pharaoh, God is in charge, you are not. Nope, okay. He didn't get that. God's saying, Corey, I am in charge, you are not. Took me about 19 years to get that. And then guess what? I've had to relearn it many times. But you have too, right? And so he says in the four trumpets, he says in the, in the first one, he says, you think you get to control the land, the, the environment, the earth, the trees, the vegetation, the agriculture. I let you use it. I want you to be fruitful and multiply and feed each other. But I will have to show you that it is mine and I am in control. You do not own it in that sense. What about the sea and all that is in it, the, 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 the vast multitude of life? We, we, you know, we haven't even explored the sea as much as we know about the moon, somebody told me. That's crazy. I mean, there's, that's, the, the oceans are just gigantic. And, and, and yet we, we, we use them in all kinds of ways. And I, I know I share with the Bible studies this week that the, our, our little invisible friend, COVID, right? The little virus basically sea commerce transportation stopped giant ships stopped moving god can say you know you get so dependent on your economies and how you move things around oceans that i made and you're getting all too self-centered if i want to stop that and i think he foreshadows what's coming in and ultimately later, but I think we've just had a foreshadowing in our age. If I want to briefly stop that, even with the tiny invisible virus that you can't say, I can stop all the ships of the world if I want to, God says. Just wait till I do something really big. Get real, he's saying. You're not in control of the seas. You don't even know where some of the waves come from. We don't. Did you know that? things called rogue waves, we don't even know how to predict them that have swallowed up whole ships. But we're so modern, aren't we? We don't control the seas. We don't own the seas. We don't own the land. Rivers and springs where we get our drinking water and we tap the earth for, for the, the water that we need and God so really graciously provides, right? And, and yet, they're gods. And if he wants to poison them, to wake us up, that's his right. They're not ours. They're not ours to poison either. They're his. But, but again, God saying, if you, if, if you won't drink on me and my living water, then maybe I'll take away some of your water and make you a bit bitter. 
Because if you're just going to get comfortable down there on earth, maybe you need a little bitter taste in your mouth. Because he loves us. We know if you're a parent, you know sometimes you've got to take things away from kids in the hope that they might wake up. Right? They wander onto the internet, which you could wander into anything on the internet. You don't say, oh, boy, you've been making some bad choices on the internet. How about we give you more access? Right? So we understand it with parenting. God, God's saying, you aren't doing the right things. I'm going to take some of your access away. I'm going to take some of the blessing away. And in the end, it's going to be ultimate. And some of you still won't wake up. And it'll be true with the fourth one, with the atmosphere, with the skies, with light and darkness itself. We don't even know what to call light and darkness now in, in many ways morally. This is severe. I don't even know how to understand this one. But I will say of all these four categories that all of them are important. Areas where humans, we occupy our life in these areas. We need these things. But here's the deal. We need God. And pretending that we don't need God is really, really unhealthy. It's worse than not having any of this stuff. The land we live on, the seas we need, the commerce that goes on the seas, the rivers and the springs, the very atmosphere. Yeah, we need all these things, but don't we need the one who made the earth? Don't we need the one who feel, fills the seas? Don't we need the one who makes the springs come up? Don't we need the one who holds the stars in place? This is God's domain. And not just these. Your soul is God's domain. It is not your own. You were bought at a price. You are not a free agent. You are not an independent being. You are God's beloved child, bought with a price. Bought by the Son of God experiencing terrible wrath that you and I deserved. So the eagle. <laughs> I like to think his name's Eddie. Probably not, uh, because of Eddie the eagle, the Canadian ski jumper from the 1980s, and because I thought we needed a light moment there. Okay, um, but no, he's a serious eagle, and he's a speaking eagle. It's one of these weird images in Revelation. And he flies in, and the talking eagle, and it's, he's very serious. This eagle, you see, in their mindset, is actually one of the symbols for Rome, the power of the time, a symbol for war as well. It's a symbol of power and strength. And here is an eagle flying over these, this terribly difficult scene and basically saying, it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. God has allowed, caused this destruction in human history in the hopes that some would get their eyes off of the temporary, off things that cannot heal their souls, or worse, are making their souls sick with self-centeredness and selfishness. And the eagle is flying above it all and saying, will they listen? So is there hope with all of this? With the eagle telling us there's more difficulty to come. Is there hope? The answer in the book of Revelation, the answer of the Bible is absolutely yes. In all capitals, yes. There is hope. 
But the reality is there is also judgment, and we can't, we can't have a, 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 this false hope where there's, oh, there's hope, there's nicey-niceness, God, that's going to do what I like, but, but not have judgment. There's hope and judgment. There are consequences. Hope without reality is wishful thinking, okay? We, we have hope in God. But God is a truthful God who tells us there are going to be consequences in the, in the life that's unexamined and unrepented of. There are consequences in a personal life. And in a history that continues to get more and more selfish, as human history is doing, there will be consequences to an unrepentant and an unexamined human history where that we just think we're getting better, but we're getting less and less dependent on God. There will be consequences. And God says, but there's still hope. There's still hope for me. Because we must remember that in the middle of history, the God who was planning the end of history came into history. The Son of God came into history and experienced the terrible things we can do, right? And he knew we were going to do it to him. And he died a real death on the cross. And that, that Friday as he died, that gathering gloom, that darkness that for three hours that gathered upon himself that we reflected on this season of Lent, it was, it was real because it was, it was the power and the penalty and the wrath of our selfishness and our sinfulness coming upon himself. And if we would just believe and repent of our participation in that, we can have the deep hope of Jesus Christ that is taken taken the wrath upon himself. And he has, he has done that for you if you've believed in Jesus. And not only that, but if, if you've believed in Jesus, today we celebrate that he has given his counselor, his helper, the Holy Spirit, and he's poured out his spirit into his people, and the spirit is coming because of sin, righteousness, and judgment. God, Jesus said that. He says, I'll give you my spirit. It will teach you that you, you, you do sin and that you need to be made righteous, and without me, you will face ultimate judgment. This is part of the Holy Spirit's job. One of his main jobs is to teach us about sin, convict us about sin, to show us our need for righteousness, to show us the reality of judgment. And that's a gift. And we need to, when we have the Holy Spirit in our lives, we just don't want the flashy stuff of, oh, let me have exuberant worship services, but Holy Spirit, convict me of sin deep in me where I am selfish and participating in things that are going to be burnt up or de deserve wrath, show me how to be righteous. Show me how to obey. Show me how to be a more patient dad. Show me how to be more kind and loving to those I, I dislike. Show me how to be forgiving like you, Jesus. This is real stuff. This is the hope. The hope. There is hope when we admit the truth that our life is not in us but in God. And this is the theme of Revelation, that there is life at the end. <laughs> We're going to get there one day, Lord willing. But the life is not in us. It's going to be from above, from God. The future, the future, the best life, the full life now only happens when you have God as your foundation. And all other approaches, Revelation is saying, are wishful thinking and doomed for destruction. 
So put your hope, quite simply, put your hope in the one who loves you and who can bring you through all manners of trouble and loves you so much he took all the wrath upon himself for you if you would only believe and repent of being your own Lord. And in this world, you will continue to have tribulation, but you will have him. And Jesus says, I have overcome the world, and I bring you my peace. Oh, Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear, and hearts that rejoice at the truth, even when it's hard. And I pray that since you poured out your Holy Spirit upon your church, may we actually let your Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit does. Convict us. Don't just give us what we want. Give us what we need. Teach us to obey. Show us where we're shallow. Teach us how to love like you a bit more. Really pour out your spirit, God. May we be willing to receive. May we experience the joy of things burning up that do not deserve to be in our lives. For our lives are a gift from you. And we give you great thanks. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hello, friends. I truly pray that this message blessed you. And if you want to find out more about our ministries or listen to other messages or videos of our worship services, you can check us out at palousechurch.org or search for Palouse Church on YouTube or check us out on Facebook or we are on uh, the Bible app. There's different ways to find us. You can always email me, Corey, C-O-R-E-Y, at palousechurch.org to connect with me or to send me a prayer request. We really appreciate you connecting with us in this way, and may God bless your day.